0: To, in a sense, engage with me today, can I ask you a really important question? How much emotional burden are you carrying? How much are you carrying right now? All the things that you have to cope with, all the commitments, all the people that you're responsible for, your commitments, your life, how are you doing? Is your coping tank full and you're okay? Or are you sensing a little bit that you're coming to the edge and that you're not coping perhaps? Here's an important question for you if you are a Christian today. An important question is, is your faith adding to the pressure or is it actually helping you navigate through life? Is your faith... Something that you have to do. You know, I've got to pray today, I've got to read my Bible today, I've got to be nice today, I've got to encourage somebody today, I've got to go to church today, and you're carrying it around like a suitcase, and it's just an extra burden that you're carrying. It's something that you have to do. In this series, in the next few weeks, we're going to walk through the first letter of the Apostle John, 1 John, not the Gospel of John, 1 John. And this series is going to teach us that we can be mature in our faith, we can have our faith refined, and it will help us to be confident and unashamed, that we can hold our heads high and say, I am in the faith and it's working for me. In John Chapter 1 John Chapter 2, verse 28, it says, And we know, dear children, continue to live in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him and his coming. Now, we, we know that we have difficulties sometimes, but today, I wonder if we could breathe into you something whereby you can say to yourself, You know what? I am unashamed and I'm confident about the faith that God has given me because my faith is working for me. My faith is that it's something real. Will you read with me the first few verses of the first letter of John? And this is what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Nobody, nobody passed this on to us. This is firsthand for us. With our eyes, which we have looked at, at our hands, we have touched. It's this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. And He has appeared to us. We are proclaiming something to you that was eternal, that was with the Father And that person, he's come to us. We're not just giving you some life tips here. We're proclaiming something eternal. We proclaim to you what we have seen, what we have heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this so that we can make our joy complete. You know, even saying that we're unashamed, and even saying that we are confident, even that can bring pressure. You know that that we kind of have to act it out and say, "Oh, you know, I'm Pastor Marks, and I've got to be unashamed," and that's just another burden. Have you ever met those people? They're always right. It must be a terrible burden to be always right. But sometimes, even though we, we have our struggles, Christians can come across like that a little bit because we say, you know, we've got this thing and you really need to have it. And, and sometimes, we need the, we almost wish we had the luxury and the lack of pressure to say, you just believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe. And we can all get along peaceably, but you know, that kind of philosophy doesn't get anyone anywhere because we don't have just life tips. We've got life. We've got something eternal. We've got something massive. We've got something worthy that everybody should have. And and even though there are times when you think, you know what, I feel like everybody's against me but I've still got to share. Even so, because what you've got is so important, it's so real, and it's so right, even so, we still have to share it. That type of philosophy gets us nowhere. But though we've got the word of life, we're not bigoted. The important thing to note is that our faith is not based just on some groupthink or somebody's opinion, but actually it's based on eternal realities things that were way before us and will be way after us in fact john says that he's sharing that word which was from the beginning from the very beginning now he may be referring from the beginning of when jesus came but if you look in john's gospel he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god He's saying, I'm not just sharing with you some some philosophy or life tips. I want to share with you that we are sharing eternal realities here. Things that he's sharing are not just tips for life, but they're from the beginning of how life really actually works and goes. So it becomes what John is saying is, this is really important. Stop minimalizing your faith and putting it into a corner. But let's make our faith really central to our life. Now, actually, it's good science as well as faith to say that we have eternal realities, that the universe had a beginning. Look, I'm going to show you a film in a little moment. And for some of you, you'll go, oh, that's just awesome. Some of you will go, I didn't get any of that. But here's the conclusion of the film. It's not unreasonable to have your faith. I want you to begin to think to yourself, actually, I'm not unashamed. I'm not ashamed of it. I aren't some intellectual corner where everybody else who's clever uh, doesn't have faith and everybody who does have faith is somehow psychologically not straight. I actually want to stand up tall this morning and say to you, in the beginning, God. Just watch the screen, if you will.
1: Does God exist? Or is the material universe all that is, or ever was, or ever will be? One approach to answering this question is the cosmological argument. It goes like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Is the first premise true? Let's consider. Believing that something can pop into existence without a cause is more of a stretch than believing in magic. At least with magic, you've got a hat and a magician. And if something can come into being from nothing, then why don't we see this happening all the time? No, everyday experience and scientific evidence confirm our first premise. If something begins to exist, it must have a cause. But what about our second premise? Did the universe begin? Or has it always existed? Atheists have typically said that the universe has been here forever. The universe is just there, and that's all. First, let's consider the second law of thermodynamics. It tells us the universe is slowly running out of usable energy. And that's the point. If the universe had been here forever, it would have run out of usable energy by now. The second law points us to a universe that has a definite beginning. This is further confirmed by a series of remarkable scientific discoveries. In 1915, Albert Einstein presented his general theory of relativity. This allowed us, for the first time, to talk meaningfully about the past history of the universe. Next, Alexander Friedman and George Lemaitre, each working with Einstein's equations, predicted that the universe is expanding Then, in 1929, Edwin Hubble measured the red shift in light from distant galaxies. This empirical evidence confirmed not only that the universe is expanding, but that it sprang into being from a single point in the finite past. It was a monumental discovery, almost beyond comprehension. However, not everyone is fond of a finite universe. So it wasn't long before alternative models popped into existence. But one by one, these models failed to stand the test of time. More recently, three leading cosmologists, Arvind Bord, Alan Guth and Alexander Vilenkin, proved that any universe which has on average been expanding throughout its history cannot be eternal in the past, but must have an absolute beginning. This even applies to the multiverse, if there is such a thing. This means that scientists can no longer hide behind a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Any adequate model must have a beginning, just like the standard model. It's quite plausible then that both premises of the argument are true. This means that the conclusion is also true. The universe has a cause. And since the universe can't cause itself, its cause must be beyond the space-time universe. It must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, uncaused, and unimaginably powerful, much like God. The cosmological argument shows that, in fact, it is quite reasonable to believe that God does exist.
0: Can you hear an amen, Church? You see, what John is going to write to us, he says, I'm proclaiming to you the word of life that was from eternity, from the beginning. And so, don't let's minimalize our faith down to a few little life tips and principles of how to get through. We are talking about realities that are massively important for our lives that there is an eternity and there is a God and it's absolutely reasonable and intellectual to say so. And so don't let anybody place you in a corner. Now, given that, let me say this to you. be Given this strength and this importance, rather than you carrying your faith around like an old suitcase of duty, Oh, I must do this, I must be good, I must do that. Something so important, surely your faith must help you. Your faith has to begin to carry you and to navigate you through life. Who's carrying who? Are you carrying a a lot of religion and, and commitment around or is your faith so filling your life that it's giving you strength and you power and you the ability to be able to be unashamed in this life and to stand tall and make a difference. Who is carrying who or what is carrying what? If your faith doesn't feed you, you'll burn out. We've got so many burdens to carry. If Christianity's just another one to get done, you'll burn out. So I want to ask the question today, how can we live an unashamed faith? A faith that feeds us and carries us. Not that we don't have any sacrifice, not that we won't have any hard times. I'm not saying that we're just going to breeze through life like floating on a cloud and all the rest of it. But how can we live an unashamed faith whereby we say, you know what, my faith works for me. And for those of you who perhaps, you know, you were once doing great and perhaps now you're not doing as well as you used to do, perhaps I'm going to give you two keys today to start off this week where you can say, you know what, that's what I'm going to do in order to get my faith working for me. Number one, John said this. He said... I'm going to tell you about what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which we with our hands have touched. In other words, your faith can be an unashamed faith and not a false burden if it's first-hand faith. It's your faith. It's not the faith of your mom or your dad or your family or, or even your church, but it's your faith. And John says, we proclaim to you the word of life. There's a very interesting phrase, that phrase, word of life. Because there is a sense for all of us in which we've all been handed the message, haven't we? Somebody told us, and in one sense, that means the way that we received Jesus and Christianity is a little bit second hand. We had faith passed on to us. But that phrase, the word of life, means this. He says, I proclaim the word of life. And it means the word which has life in it. That its very nature exudes life and it's always fresh. It always has life in it and therefore it carries life with it so it is ever fresh to us. So that everybody who embraces that word of life, it's like that you've embraced it for the first time. Because it's so full of life. I love bread. I love bread. I love brown bread. I don't like raisin bread. Why do people put raisins in perfectly good bread? That's like putting sin in purity, isn't it? It's like raisins, the devil's grapes. I don't like raisin bread. But I love all types. In fact... I would be a lot thinner if I didn't love bread so much. And so would you. But that's not the subject we're talking about. I love bread. I love the smell of it. I love to toast it. I love it when you... If I was selling my house, I'd say, put some bread in the oven. And when they come in, they'll go, oh, this is a lovely house. Wouldn't they? I love fresh bread. I hate stale bread. I can't stand green moldy bread. Do you like moldy bread? See, that's what the word of life can become. But actually, even though the recipe for bread is as old as, as, old as humanity almost, the word of life can be fresh bread every day for you it can be so real and so fresh that it begins to fill you new every day. It's great to have some fresh bread and that's what John means here. He says, we've touched him, we've handled him, we've seen him, but we are talking to you and now about the word of life that's ever fresh, ever new, ever real. And what I would say to you today is you need to have that first fresh faith let me ask you how second hand is your faith an experience that which you are living out are you just gleaning that from your mum and your dad or somebody else is it your experience or is it first hand to you Because if you want to live an unashamed life and an unashamed faith, you have to have first-hand faith. It's my faith. It's what I experience. It's what I do. What makes up a first-hand faith? In a first-hand faith, there will be some key factors to it. First of all, a first-hand faith receives things. I get something. that that I'm not just doing duty, but I actually hear from God, I, I, I get things, I receive things, and not just on a Sunday, but throughout the week, I kind of receive strength, and I ask God for strength, and he gives me ideas and strength of how to navigate through. When was the last time that you received something rather than just went to something? The second idea of a uh, first-hand faith is that you will begin to believe some things and learn some things, apply some of the things that you have been learning. You see, a first-hand experience says, I believe this, I'm going to try it to see if it works. You know, have you got a belief system whereby you just believe some things... And it's like having a picture on the wall where you say, yeah, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. And those beliefs just stay silently on your wall of your life, looking back at you. Real first-hand faith says, I believe this, so I'm going to do this. I, I, I believe that, so, so if that's what it says, this is what I'm going to expect. That's first-hand faith. You see, we can make our faith so churchy and so religious. A first-hand faith is also a faith that experiences some things. There will be some life flow so that you begin to progress and you begin to learn. Now, I've been a Christian for over 45 years, and I've got lots of experiences. But I want to have an experience this week about God. Don't you? like I don't want to just tell you about oh it was great when this happened and it was great when that happened what about this week at the end of our first service a lady came to me and said Pastor Mark you know when you said about an experience I was praying and I was praying in the car and I felt like God said to me slow down and pray harder and she just said, oh, no, I'm being, I'm being a bit silly. And she didn't slow down, and she didn't pray. And then she entered a roundabout legally. That was fine. She was doing the right thing. And somebody broadsided her. And she said, Mark, I just feel. Had I have slowed down and prayed, that accident wouldn't happen. So she said, I, that was a few months ago. So this week, I, I was traveling along, the, and, the, and she described the road to me. I had no clue where, you know, that road, that country. I didn't have no clue what she was on about. But she said, I was going down this country road, and I was going the national speed limit, which tells me maybe, maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. I don't know. And she felt like the Lord said, Do you remember when I asked you to pray? Pray now and she began to declare in her car and she slowed down she began to declare in her car those who dwell in the uh, most high place will be kept safe in the Lord. Those who dwell in the Lord will be kept safe. She began to declare it over and over again. As she came round a bend, a Range Rover was overtaking somebody on the wrong side. She slammed her brakes, closed her eyes, which is never good when you're driving. And she slammed her brakes, closed her eyes, cried out to the Lord. And she said, I opened my eyes as the Range Rover passed me by. And she said, I, because I slowed down and prayed and listened, I feel like... That the Lord delivered me. That was her this week experience. That's not her story from years ago of when God spoke to her. How's your faith? You can have a first-hand faith if you begin to flow and expect. If you begin to say, my faith... I want to receive something from you, God. I want to put my beliefs into action. I want to experience some things. First-hand faith also is expressed. That when you go to work, that people know that you are a Christian. You know, you won't believe this, but, and those who know me don't believe this. Uh, but I used to make high-fives. I used to put together... Uh, turntables record turntables and solder speakers together me with hot things that are electrical if you know me you know how dangerous this is i used to do that and i used to live in in scotland and in this factory they said to me that when i left that company they said this to see a christian is in action is breathtaking You see, you've got to not only receive and believe and experience, but you've got to express your faith. A first-hand faith isn't a faith whereby it's like everybody else. You all go into work grumpy. Now, I'm not saying be obnoxious. I'm not saying be the, the one that gets on everybody's nerves because you're trying to prove a point how joyful you are. Oh, those people are so annoying, aren't they? But what i'm saying to you is you do have to express that which is real about your faith maybe maybe a little expression would be to tomorrow morning in the canteen just to bow your head for 10 seconds and give thanks for your food perhaps that would be one little expression i don't know it may not be appropriate in your workplace but how are you expressing your faith see i'm a teacher And that's one of my gifts. But teaching is good. It's very needful. It it really is. And, And as you express your faith, your boldest moments will be your best moments. You will have something to say. You will have a testimony. But you know, teaching is great. It's needful. It's what we do here. It's fine. We will always teach. But you know, your experience is also vital. You can't just know more than you experience all the time we sing often beyond our experience and we want those realities to come together We talk about doubting Thomas, but you know, I don't know whether I would be similar to him. Looking at the disciples and all the mistakes they had, and they are telling me that Jesus is risen from the dead. I don't know whether I would have trusted them. And he said, unless I put my finger in the side, I'm not believing you. And then Jesus comes along and he says, look at my hands, look at my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have the flesh and bones that I have. Thomas Experience it for yourself. And I'm saying to you, BCC, you can't live on somebody else's faith. You've got to experience it for yourself. You can't live on your past faith, on that old bread. It's stale. Throw it out of the bread bin of your experience and get some fresh bread. We need fresh bread in our lives. Can I hear an amen, church? I want fresh bread, a first-hand faith. I don't want to be living off something in the past. In this world of second-hand thrills, cheap thrills that everybody else tells you you're supposed to enjoy that. You know, I've seen people standing around in entertainment so they're all miserable and they go, oh, this is great, isn't it? And they go, yeah, this is great, is it? And it's second-hand thrills we are most effective when we've got a first-hand faith. A faith that receives. A faith that believes. A faith that expresses itself and experiences. A faith that's not hidden. A faith that does. First-hand faith. That's what John says. He says, I'm not telling you something I haven't experienced. I've touched it but you might, may, may not have touched it, but it's the word of life, so it can be ever fresh to you. How secondhand is my faith, our faith? The second way to live unashamed is when our faith is based on the right connections. I'm going to use the word connection. The Bible uses the word fellowship. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, We proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard, so that you may may be able to have fellowship or connection with us. And then he says, he defines his fellowship. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship or connection with each other, this type of connection that's genuine and transformational and and that it, it is based on the right things. Real fellowship or real connection is based on a genuine spiritual connection to Jesus and believing the right things. You know, there are some people who say to me, oh, your church is so big, I just can't get on the inside of it. And some people say that about any size of church, to be honest. Oh, I just don't seem to be able to get into or connect with church. And you know, that might not actually have to do with the social structures of church. But actually, if we're genuinely, spiritually connected to Jesus and vibrantly connected to the Son, believing the right things. You see, we're going to love you wherever you come from. We're going to reach out to you. But really, to connect genuinely to each other, is you've got to have a connection with the Son. You've got to be really connected to Jesus because it's that connection that will connect you to each other. So if you're feeling a little bit isolated in church, maybe you need to begin to say, well actually, is my connection to Jesus vibrant? Is my connection to Him really on track? Some people come to church and they just come to church because they're coming to please the missus. Or they're coming because he likes it. Or they're coming because that's what my dad did. You will never fully connect into church until you really connect into Jesus. Because the basis of our fellowship is our connection to Jesus. How would I have ever met some beautiful people from Brazil? I didn't go looking for anybody from Brazil. I fell in love with Jesus. They fell in love with Jesus. And now we're brothers and sisters. You see, our connection is based on our connection to Him. That's the first connection. We have a lot of people who come to church and say, well, what are you going to do for me? The first thing we can do for you is to give you Jesus. And when you get Jesus, you'll get us. Now, that's, don't, don't misunderstand If you never accept Jesus, we're going to love you anyhow. We're going to be kind to you. We're going to give you food. We'll give you what you need. We'll do what we can to help you. But if you really want real connection, be connected to Jesus. Let me tell you, there are five layers of fellowship of how people really connect in. First one, as we've said, this foundational one, is this spiritual connection to the Son. And you have to genuinely connect into Him. Paul said to the Colossians that you can lose your connection to the head. He actually describes a person that has lots of doctrine, lots of teaching, lots of discussion. But he says actually their connection is gone. He says this, let me read it to you. He says... Um, He describes this religious person, do not let anybody who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person is also going into great detail about what they've seen and what they've done. And they are puffed up uh, with their idle notions by their unspiritual mind. And then he says, they have lost their connection with the head, with the sun from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews and grows as God causes it to grow. I want you to notice something. It's by how you're connected to Jesus will be how you're connected into the body. Now, we're not passing off any responsibility of not loving people or reaching out to people. But if you're feeling a little bit disconnected First of all, maybe you need to check your connection with Jesus. Amen, church? Second layer of fellowship is that we have to authentically live out and walk in the truth that we know. In fact, a few verses from what I've just read in verse 7 of 1 John chapter 1, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Has this ever happened to you? You've been with a bunch of Christians. And they start doing something that you know is not biblical. I don't know, and you and you think I I, yeah, I, I, I can't do that. There's like a disconnect in fellowship. You see, as you walk in the light, as you apply truth and walk it out, your fellowship with other people, your connection to other people, goes deeper. It's a layer of fellowship. So if you're living keenly for God and you're living a biblical life, you'll get connected in. I don't know whether you've ever noticed that. It's a layer of fellowship. The third layer is that we have personal relationships with people and people whom we can love. We have personal connections. In fact, John later on in this in this uh, letter is going to say you need to love one another. You can't say that you love God if you don't love one another. Now, here's what, if I can show you a little bit of the background language. When John says you need to love uh, the church, he, I can say, I love you. I love all of you. And that's a nice sentiment. But if I come to you and say, I love you, that's what John's after. He's saying, if you want to have fellowship, you need to love everyone, but you also need to love someone. Who who are you reaching out to? Who are you saying, I'm going to love you and make your life better? Who are you saying at work, who are you saying in church, if you want real connection, you have to love everyone, but you also have to love someone. I love you, but I love you. That's not going to work on the audio, is it? We need a bit of video for that. Because the English word for you is the same. I love you, plural, but I will love you, singular. Unless you can love people individually, you'll never get connected. A fourth layer of fellowship is that we join in with the great vision that we've all got to get uh, for our city. You know, that we have a common purpose, that we have fellowship around building a vibrant church and a great church. We do this together because we want to do something great. Have you ever met those people? You know, I don't know whether you have this in your experience, but you say a great vision, and there's somebody who goes, oh, but will it work? Instead of just joining in and saying, yeah, we can do this together, you never win a scrum by standing outside the scrum. Let me just teach the New Zealand people People have to play rugby here. You never win a scrum by standing outside the scrum and saying, Oh, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. You can't win a scrum that way. You have to get in a scrum and push your hardest and try and spin them around and grab that ball and run to score a try. Am I right or am I wrong? In this great rugby nation of ours, that is true. You won't feel the fellowship and the connection unless you say you know what I can't build this on my own but let's build it together let's do something great let's change a city let's build a church somebody somebody say amen at least (laughs) let's build a church let's reach out let's begin to change things Let's become so full of Jesus that together we make a real difference. Amen, church? Amen. You see, if you never join in, and it's, your faith is always about, this is my need and my, my provision and my issue and my thing. If you never join in to the common vision, you'll, you'll miss some connection. Transformed lives. Transforming lives. When I came to this city, I have not had many visions in my life. But I had one vision. Of like the Olympic Village, you know, where it was like a hologram. You know when they build the Olympic Village and then they show you the wasteland and, and then show you what it's going to be like. Have you ever? I don't know whether you've seen that. But I had this vision of looking over Birmingham and everything becomes new. And one thing that God said to me is, you can't fit a city in a building. So you need to do it together with lots of people. Come on church. We can do some great things here. Amen? Amen. Oh man. I'm, I feel like I'm preaching at the start of term. You need to join in. Last layer of fellowship. Is that you will be connected. And you will have fellowship. When you begin to understand that if you just simply help or serve you know the best friends I've made are the friends who I serve with if you say if you join the worship team you become friends with those guys if you join the kind of food bank team you become friends with those guys if you join a team or you serve or, or at work if you serve at work you'll make connections there I hear so many people say, oh, it's so hard to be in fellowship and all of this. If you serve, you'll connect. We've got a great opportunity this week to serve and to connect with people around the world. I wonder if you can connect and serve right from there. You see, there are all valid ways of fellowship. Connection by walking in the truth, personal relationships, common purpose, serving together. But the foundation is that first one, connection to the Son. And in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to renew your connection to the Son. Look, for many of you, I know you're saved. I know that if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven. Cha-ching, job done. I know all of that. But how connected are you today with a vibrant relationship to Jesus? Romantic tips by Mark Ryan coming up. You need to tell your wife you love her every day several times. You know, the old joke about, you know, it's just it's just abhorrent to me where you where people say, Oh, I told her I loved her on the wedding day, and when it changes, I'll, you know, I'll tell her you know, again. Well, that's rubbish. And we, you know what? We shouldn't be making jokes like that anymore. We should be honouring our women in our lives. And shouldn't we, men, guys? Can I hear an amen from some guys at least? We should be honoring the women amongst us. So I tell Kathy every day, several times a day, I love you, I love you. It's no different with Jesus. When was the last time that you just spent some time with him saying, I just love you, God. I don't want you to do anything for me. I just love you. I'm so glad that I'm a Christian. I'm so glad that I'm I'm here. I'm so glad I'm with you. You see, authentic connection is connection to the head. To the sun. So I want to ask you today, how firsthand is your faith? You see, John said, we write these things for you so that my joy is complete. Older Christians always love it when people progress. After you've been a Christian for a while, you know there's so many things that compete for your joy. When you first started becoming to church and you first started becoming a Christian... You just wanted Jesus and nothing else. And now you're thinking, well, if it's Jesus and the great worship band, or if it's Jesus and the nice building, if mean, it's Jesus and the, and, the, and the fellowship group, and it's Jesus and, and Jesus and, and Jesus and. How many things do you need to compete for your joy? I want to say to you, we'll do all of those things, but when we progress and we're connected, we will have the joy of developing in Jesus. Real joy comes when we make deeper progress. Can I ask you just to stand with me just for a few moments, but don't switch off. I just want to speak some things over your life. There's a church in Revelation. A great church. A church that could discern apostles and they could discern doctrine. But you know what the Lord said to them? Go back to your first love. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come. And I want to say to you today, let your faith be first hand. Do something this week that's just about you and God. You know when you do something for your wife or your family and they look at you and go, Oh, you thought of me. You know, you you knew I liked that, so you did that. What about spending some time this week where you say, God, this isn't about me and BCC. This isn't about me and church or me and my family. This is about me and you. You might go on a little prayer walk and say, you know, for this prayer walk, I'm just going to praise you for the whole time. I'm not going to ask you for anything. Although God loves it when you ask him for things. He loves to hear, well, what do you need? I I love you so much, I want to give you the things that you need. Can I ask you this week to do something that is just about you and God? Can I ask you this week to let your connections be real? That you connect in with the Son I wonder right now whether or not it's worth us all just lifting our hands to Him. Why don't we do that together? And just, I know that I'm asking you to do it, but just from your heart, I wonder if you could say, I just renew my love for you, Lord. A bit like me saying to Kathy, I love you, Kathy. We've been married over 40 years, but I'm not going to stop telling her that I love her. You're going to heaven, you're fine that's that's okay, but I wonder today if you could just say, "God, I love you." You see your faith will be unashamed when it's firsthand it's yours. Your faith will be unashamed when you get connected I'm going to lead just a little prayer just right now just for some people here, you might, you might be a churchgoer. You, you come because somebody else, you know it pleases somebody else. But you've never given your heart to Jesus. I mean, really. Or you've let it go and, it, and you've just gone a little bit cold on God. I'm going to lead you in a prayer whether you could renew your commitment to God. Would that be all right? I'm going to leave gaps in what I say so that you can pray this in your mind and in your heart. Heavenly Father, I come to you now. I'm sorry that I've allowed things to go cold in my life. I return to you now. Forgive me. I change my mind. I want to live for you in strong connection. In Jesus' name, amen. I just wonder today whether there are some people here and it would just help you whether you've got a situation where you you, you might not know what to do and you might want to think, you know what, I'm going to receive some prayer about that. But I want to ask you if you'd like to, and it just helps you to renew your faith. There's nothing particularly wrong. It's a bit like me going to Kathy and saying, darling, I love you. Whether you would want to walk forward and say, you know what, I'm just wanting to say to you, Jesus, I want to be deeply connected to you and I love you. You're not admitting any sin. You're just saying, I just want to renew closer to God. Why don't you leave the, the seat where you're standing and just, just make your way forward and our prayer team will just come and pray with you. You just want to dedicate your job to God. You just want to dedicate your life to God. And maybe some of you are coming back to God. Is there anybody else where you just say, yeah, I, I just want to say to God that I'm giving myself to you. I'm renewing myself to you. We're going to sing a song in a moment. And some of you may want to come forward then. I'm going to ask the prayer team just to come and gather around these people. But let's decide that we're going to be unashamed. Let's decide that we're we're not going to walk around our lives with our heads bowed saying, well, I don't really, you know, I'm a Christian, but, you know, everybody else has got something better than me. They haven't. Amen, church. They haven't. Let's decide that we're going to be unashamed. We're going to apply our faith. We're not going to be brash. We're not going to be unloving. And we're not going to stuff it down people's throats who don't want it. But we are going to stand up and say, I am unashamedly living for you, God. Why don't you just turn to your neighbor right now and just say, I am unashamed to be a Christian. You know, we are not looking for fame. But we are looking to be unashamed. Just turn to your neighbor again and say, come on, be unashamed. Be unashamed about how you live. It's time for us to hold our heads up high and say, my faith is firsthand. I am serving you for me, Jesus. My connections are real. I'm being involved. I'm being connected to God. I'm loving someone and I'm connecting in. Amen, church? Luca, just lead us in a song, if you will. We're not looking for fame, but we are looking to be unashamed. Just lift your hands with me and will you just sing this song as a prayer. I'm going to ask the prayer team just to come and pray with these folks.